with us over uh, the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been following um, uh, John's Gospel, the first few verses in John's Gospel, and uh, looking at his opening uh, to uh, the, the Christmas story. It's a rather different opening from the other Gospels. But we've reached a bit in uh, these verses where he talks about a light. Um, and of course, lights are everywhere at Christmas. Lights are one of my favorite things, quite honestly, at Christmas. I mean, just look at the place here. It's just glorious, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. And I mean, I don't know if you've been up to the, the, the lights, the um, lights in uh, Oxford Street and Regent Street. Uh, but uh, again, they just get bigger and better and more dazzling every year, don't they? And of course, the celebrities vying to uh, do the, uh, the turning on of the Christmas lights. It's become a big thing, isn't it? Um, and uh, the arcades up there, I don't know if you've seen Burlington Arcade and the other arcades and shopping centres, all with dust, dazzling with lights. Lights sort of make us feel better, don't they? Uh, when we put on a light or see lights like this, they make us feel more joyful, more hopeful. Um, uh, and I just, I just love actually just even walking around the neighbourhood here and just seeing the lights twinkling, the new lights twinkling, Christmas lights twinkling out of people's homes. Just beautiful, aren't they? Uh, mind you, there's one house just round the corner from us that has gone absolutely berserk. I don't know if you've seen it on Spencer Park. I took a picture of it this evening. Look at it. It's just crazy. They've added the motorbikes on this year, and they actually look as if they're racing. Um, they're, they're abs- I don't know how much money and time and effort and planning they put into it each year, but th- there it is. Um, uh, and uh, lights are wonderful, and they're everywhere at Christmas, but of course, they're very important to the first Christmas story. The bright, almost blinding light of the angels, um, the incredible light of the new star that appeared. But our passage, if you notice, doesn't just talk about any light, a light among many. It talks about the light, the true light, John says, that gives light to everyone. And that word true has the sort of sense of fulfillment. You know, everything coming together in this one moment. A light that was like no other light before or since. A light that would bring life itself A light that would overcome the darkness and reveal the truth. A light that would give people a way back to God. And the prophet Isaiah that uh, Tom um, uh, 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 mentioned right at the beginning of the service, the prophet Isaiah spoke about this light centuries before in one of the most memorable prophecies about the future Messiah. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Because Isaiah was looking forward to a new dawn when a great light would appear. And John tells us in these opening verses of his gospel that the time has come. The light has finally arrived. You know, suddenly and astonishingly, it becomes a moment in history. Verse 6, the true light that gives light to every man was coming, in fact, had come into the world. That great moment had arrived. And six times John mentions the word light in just six verses. And the light, you know, isn't a philosophy. It isn't some sort of moral enlightenment. It isn't a higher power. No, just as the prophet Isaiah foretold, it's a person. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The most extraordinary moment in history has arrived. This is the great climax. 
God sending his son so a new creation, a new era can begin. Now, surely in the whole history of Israel, there can be nothing more longed for, nothing more anticipated than this. All the build-up, all the prophetic words, all the longings of all the years. But there's a problem. Verse 10. He, the light, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. There's a problem. Let's have the next slide. The world doesn't recognize its maker. The created fail to recognize their creator. Uh, in particular, God's chosen people. The Jewish people fail to recognize him. They don't recognize that this is the true light who has come into the world. This is what they've been waiting for for centuries, this coming of the Messiah, and they fail to recognize him. They miss the event. And from our first reading in Matthew, we heard how Magi from the east arrived at King Herod's palace in Jerusalem, asking the question that ought to have been on the lips of every Jewish believer. Where is the one who's been born, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, these men are foreigners, pagans from a distant land, but they saw the signs that God's people should have seen. They weren't part of the promised people of Israel. They hadn't been part of the whole story of God's love and, and faithfulness. But they were allowed in on the most momentous event in history. They had the faith to see what others should have seen. Opening up the way for all people, not just the Jewish people, but all people to believe. And it's a tragic moment, quite honestly, when the chief priests and scribes, these holy men of Israel, reel off scripture, verifying the actual place where this new king will be born. In Bethlehem, they say. But then they simply watch the Magi leave Jerusalem on the last leg of their epic journey, and they don't even bother to go with him. Only six miles to Bethlehem, and they stayed behind. They weren't even curious enough to go and see for themselves. These religious leaders who could quote from every part of the scriptures, who'd been waiting for these great, holding on to these great prophecies to be fulfilled, refused to see it even when it was right in front of their eyes. I mean, what was it, do you think? Blindness? Pride? Stubbornness? Indignation, maybe, that these pagan astrologers should think that they'd seen things that they themselves had failed to recognize. John tells us he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In fact, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And it's the same today. Rejection comes in many guises. There can be a sort of an aggressive pushing away. There can be an indifference. I'm sure we've all come across that. There can be a purposeful ignoring, knowing what it might mean. There can be a sort of proud resistance. There can be many different reasons people use for refusing to recognizing, failing to recognizing, recognize Jesus. But John gives his final word on it a few chapters on in his book when he says this, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, this is the problem. People love darkness instead of light because moving into the light 
shows up their darkness. Light was, will always be in opposition to darkness. And at Christmas time in particular, in the year, we want to spread good cheer, don't we? Not gloom and doom. We want to make the world feel like a better place. Uh, a few years ago, an ad was put in the New York Times that said, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. That's what it said. In other words, we want to believe that we have the light. We have the light within us. We're the ones who can dispel the darkness of this world. We think that we can overcome poverty or injustice or violence or evil. Surely if we only work together, we can create a world of unity and peace. But you see, the true message of Christmas is that we need a light from outside of ourselves to combat the darkness. The darkness of sin that's both inside of us and, of course, in the world around us. We can't do it ourselves. The light isn't inside of us. It comes from outside of us, outside of our world even. Just John tells us the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It had to come into the world from outside. And that light is a person. A person who brings an extraordinary promise. There may be a problem, but there is a promise. And verse 12 says to us, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the midst, you see, of darkness and rejection and pain comes this beautiful little word, yet. Yet God had a plan. Yet, despite our sin and rebellion, he had a plan to restore our relationship with him, to bring us back into his family, to bring us home, as our theme over this Christmas has told us. And John puts it so simply. He says, to all who receive him. In other words, to anyone who believes in his name. Now, names were very important in Jewish culture, and the name of Jesus carries with it deep significance. It means literally to save or to rescue. He's our savior. He's our rescuer. We can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. And it's a deeply humbling but amazingly freeing thing to recognize that we need to be rescued. I was rescued when I was just 17 years old. I heard someone talking about Jesus in a way that I'd never heard before. I heard that he came to give meaning to my life, to give me purpose and focus, to give me an identity and a strength outside of myself. I heard the good news of the gospel explained in a way that I'd never heard before. And I knew I had to make a response to that, to that promise. And yes, you know, it was like being rescued. Being rescued from a self-orientated, self-selfish, superficial life. And when we recognize this, when we recognize who Jesus really is, and we recognize why he came, John tells us that something extraordinary will happen to us. We'll become children of God. That's what happens when we believe in his name. We're invited into his family simply through believing. It's so simple. And John reinforces this by emphasizing the negative, how this doesn't happen. Just look at verse 13, if you've got it open. It doesn't happen, he says, by natural descent. 
You know, it won't happen because we've got Christian parents or live in a so-called Christian country or because we tick the C of E box on our hospital form. It's nothing to do with race or genes or nationality or background. It doesn't happen, he says, through human decision or often translated by the will of the flesh. In other words, we don't become children of God through human effort, by trying to do the right thing, trying to do the expected things, you know, going to church, reading our Bibles, doing good works, even giving to charity. And it doesn't happen through a husband's will, John says. It won't happen because someone else decided it should. Someone else can't make us a child of God. Dare I say it? Baptism, confirmation, dedication, consecration, even ordination doesn't make us a child of God. The only thing that makes us a child of God is to be born of God, John says, verse 13, to be born again. And that happens through faith, simply believing in the name of Jesus. And then we find we have this change status, this privilege, this extraordinary privilege of coming into God's family. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia books, shows this change when, do you remember, the children go through the wardrobe into a, a different world where suddenly they're seen as sons and daughters of Adam. They inherit their true identity as kings and queens of God in God's world. But back home, when they come back again through the wardrobe, they're still the children who are ridiculed and belittled and teased by Eustace. Like them, you know, we may still look the same. We look ordinary as if nothing's changed. But in truth, we're kings and queens in God's family, in God's kingdom. We're we're children of God. And John affirms this later so beautifully in one of his letters. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Do you see, we can call him Father. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Pure and simple. That is what we are. And the tragedy of Christmas is that people don't know what they truly are, who they truly were meant to be. And they push Jesus aside and reject him year after year, thinking they can make it on their own. They can do it by themselves. Not recognizing that he is the only way to God. The only true light who gives light life itself. That's the tragedy. But the wonder is, the wonder is any person who receives him, who believes in his name, will automatically become a child of God and will experience this extraordinary love that John talks about, the Father's love lavished upon us. So for those of us here who know, who already know we've been accepted by God, we've been accepted into his family by believing in his Son, Let's resolve to walk in the light. Whatever it might mean for us, maybe this Christmas time, going into this new year, walking in the light, putting aside things of darkness, things that separate us from the light. And let's stand this Christmas in awe and wonder that he's given us this privilege, this right to call him Father. I mean, let's not take it for granted. Let's not fail to recognize this incredible thing that has happened to us. And for any of us here who don't yet know this amazing love, who haven't yet recognized who Jesus truly is, all I would say is, you know, don't let another Christmas slip by. 
Don't let another Christmas slip by and still not find the one true light. The one who doesn't just have life, he doesn't just give life, he is life. The one who told us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's his promise. Let's pray, shall we? Let's stand, and as the band comes up. Because, Lord Jesus, we do. We thank you that you opened up the way to the Father. Thank you that you are the one true light. Thank you for that picture for us, that you are the light. And as we look at the lights around us, may they always point to you. May we allow them to just fill our minds and hearts with fresh awe and wonder at who you are and what you've done and who you've made us. Children of God, that is what we are. Amen.